beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Claw, that there are contentions, there are divisions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Siphanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. have thought that God would send his son into the world as a virgin-born baby, Emmanuel, God with us. His ways are past finding out except by his divine revelation, the Bible, his unchanging word. The focus today is on the power of the cross. The gospel is not unreasonable when you know the power of God. God has shown himself and his wisdom by divine revelation, not by human reasoning. The wisdom of God is made known through the gospel. Here's Dr. Mitchell to continue. We're studying together these days the first book of Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, a people who were blessed by God with utterance, knowledge, had all the gifts of the Spirit, and yet were carnal. And Paul proceeds to deal with them on the ground of what they have in Christ and how it should affect their lives. God is going to present his people before himself without blame. He guarantees that. It is guaranteed by the faithfulness of God. And when one thinks of the faithfulness of God, we have to bow in humble worship before him. You remember in the 89th Psalm, we sing of his faithfulness. It's as high as the heavens. It's as sure as God is on the throne, ever fresh, ever wonderful. God is never unfaithful, especially to his own. I don't care who you are, my friend, but if you're trusting the Savior, you love him, you're his child, you can trust the faithfulness of God. He may discipline you, may discipline me, 
but it's because he loves us. And he's going to present us before himself in all the perfection and all the beauty of Christ. My, what a savior he is and what a purpose God has in redeeming men and women. Now, we've been discussing together uh, the fact of the, that the Corinthian church had got into divisions. They were running after men, following after men, looking at rights and so on. They were divided one, one is of Paul, one is of apostle, one of Peter and uh, one of Christ and so on. Is Christ divided? They were, by their lives, they were rejecting the headship of Christ. For Christ is the head of the church. They were denying the, the unity of the body of Christ. Every believer, not only the mature Christian, but even the babes in Christ, all part of the body of Christ, of the church, which is his body. We have to recognize any person who really loves the Savior and is trusting him is a part of the body of Christ. The one thing, great thing, the Spirit of God seeks to teach us through these epistles is this oneness with Christ and oneness with each other, this relationship that's beyond the ken of men. And from verse 17 down to 21, we were beginning to speak of the power of the cross. And let me read those verses, may I? Verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of non-effect. As I said in our last lesson, Paul is not opposed to any rite or any baptism, but we must not add that to the work of Christ. Christ did a perfect work. As he said in John 19, 30, you remember, he said, it's finished. Or in John 17, I have finished the work you gave me to do. You can't add to it. He did a perfect work. He offers men and women a perfect, complete salvation. All he wants us to do is to believe in him, put our trust in him, say amen to what God has done, to be satisfied with that with which God is satisfied. My friend, I know that God is satisfied with the work of his son on the cross. I know that because God raised him from the dead, sent him at his own right hand to be a prince and a savior. God is perfectly satisfied with the work of his son. Are you? Are you going to help God out? But having become a Christian, having been redeemed and bought with the precious blood of Christ, become a member of the family of God, of the church which is his body, now I have a responsibility. That's why he left you and me down here, to reveal to men something of the loveliness of Christ, to reveal to men something of his love, his compassion, his tenderness, his grace. I wish Christians would read the Gospels more and more, not only the epistles. Now, I'm all for the epistles. That's where doctrine is. But you have to read a Gospel like, for example, Luke's Gospel, the Gospel through Luke. See the tenderness, the compassion, the love of Christ, the grace of Christ toward men and women. Indeed, he's the sinner Savior, as they accused him of being the friend of publicans and sinners. What a marvelous saying. God can take anybody and care who you are, what you are, transform you into a child of God. So we come right on down then to this, the power of the cross. And Paul, as God's messenger, is not going to allow anything to stand in the way 
of ministering the gospel to our to his generation. Likewise with us today. The gospel of the cross, the message of the cross stands alone. And I repeat it, anything added to his work at the cross ruins the gospel. It's no longer good news. Now in verse 18, we were discussing that in our last lesson and closing it. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Unto us who are saved, it's the power of God. And I'm repeating this for those of you who didn't listen in. Men designate what they are according to their attitude to the cross of Christ and what he accomplished at the cross. To add one thing to the work of Christ, I say, ruins it. And today we have so much that is not the gospel of Christ, but is the religion of Cain, salvation by works. Salvation by works. When do you know you've done enough? So let me read it again. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish. Foolishness. When one declares that the sacrifice of Christ is a thing of foolishness. Tommy Rott, as one man said, to think that a man can be saved today from his sin by what Jesus Christ did on the cross 1900 years ago. Well, my friend, let me tell you something. God has recognized that work. God raised his son from the dead. And today, the most marvelous thing in all the universe, there's a man at God's right hand, seated on the throne of grace, the man Christ Jesus, God's only begotten Son, the one who died and rose again for the salvation of men. You can call, you can call him and call his ministry all the words you want to, foolishness. But by so doing, you are declaring to me that you belong to those who perish. What a sad thing. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. To them who are saved, it is the power of God. Note the great gulf between the two. Some people are going to perish because of their repudiation of the work of Christ, the person and work of Christ. Then there are those who are going to experience the power of God. Who? Those who believe. Unto those who are saved, it is the power of God. All that is required, my friend, is for you to put your trust in the Savior, to believe what God says. But you see, I don't understand it. I'm not saved by understanding it. I'm saved by trusting, by believing what he says to be true. And then the Spirit of God then will bring it to your understanding. In John 20, 31, John wrote, These things are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing you might have life in his name. Or Paul could write in Romans 1, 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There's good news concerning Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, whether Jew or Gentile. For therein, in this gospel, in this good news, is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Not by works, not by ceremonies, but by faith. I want you to realize this. 
The preaching of the gospel is to them that perish foolishness. Unto us who are saved, it's the power of God. And then from verses 19 to 21, we have worldly wisdom, which is nothing to God. Let me read it to you. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching or the foolishness of that which is preached to save them that believe. Here you have worldly wisdom. It means nothing to God. God has shown his wisdom, not in philosophy, not in human reason, but in the gospel of his son. My friend, may I say it is impossible for worldly wisdom to know God. A God who is equal to reason is no God at all. You don't know God by worldly wisdom, by reasoning. You can't reason out God. How can a finite mind reason out an infinite God? So, Mr. Mitchell, God has given me reason. That's right. He's giving you lots of powers, knowledge, reason. That's true. And the gospel is not unreasonable. When you know the power of God, when you know the character of God, when you know the heart of God, you have to bow not before human reason, but before divine revelation. You remember in Matthew chapter 11, verses uh, 25 down to, say, 28, where Jesus said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and you have revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, it seemed good in thy sight. And he goes on to say, No one knoweth the Father save the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What Jesus Christ is saying, if you really want to know God, come unto me. I'll give you rest. Rest from what? Rest from judgment. This is rest of conscience. Then he goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You'll find rest, that's rest of heart. That's an experiential thing. Oh, the marvel of it, we can come into the presence of God, having trusted the Savior, and we know without any shadow of a doubt, we stand before him without sin. For the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has cleansed us from all sin. Or you take Matthew chapter 16. Do you remember that passage starting in verse 13, running on down through where Jesus said to his disciples one day, what are men saying about me? Oh, they said, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Isaiah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're one of the prophets. And the Lord Jesus said to them, what do you say? What do you think about me? And you remember Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And the Lord's answer to that amazing statement was, Peter, 
Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father who is in heaven. Oh, listen. I don't care who you are, what you are. God means business. And if you really want to know God, if you really want to know God, my friend, God will reveal himself to you. He has already done so in the person of Jesus Christ. For he said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. To me, it's a wonderful thing. I didn't come to know the Savior through reason. I came to know him through the word of God. The preaching of the cross is to them perish foolishness. Unto them who are saved the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the dispute of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? It's the last thing man could think of to be redeemed through a sacrifice. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew nothing of God. It pleased God by the foolishness of the thing preached to save them that believe. If God, let me say this, if God is going to save man from sin and from death, and from hell. Doesn't God have a right to say how he will do it? You see, the wisdom of God is made known through the gospel. You remember, we read, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the speculation of men's minds. It's not my reasoning out of things. It's a revelation from God, and he revealed that through the cross. The world by wisdom knew not God. It doesn't say the world by ignorance knew not God, but the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God. It pleased God by the foolishness of the thing preached to save them that believe. What did he preach? The gospel of our Savior. You know, I've been a pastor of a church for 37 years here in Portland. And when I was pastor of church, of course, I did quite a bit of visitation with sick people in hospitals. And often I have talked to people in the hospitals who were not Christians, but they were good people. They were religious people. I remember talking to a dear man, man of my church in his 70s. I began to talk to him about the Savior and the provision, the divine provision for men and women to pass from death to life out of sin into a savior. And he said to me, Mr. Mitchell, he said, you know, I have my religion and you have your religion. Well, I said, that's fine. I said, uh, what kind of a religion do you have? Well, he said, I, I believe in keeping the golden rule. Well, I said, do you keep the golden rule? Well, he said, I do the best I can. What, what more can God expect of me if I do the best I can? Well, I said, you know, that's a strange thing. According to your religion, what you've just said, God made a terrible mistake when he sent Jesus Christ, his beloved son, to come to this earth to be despised and rejected of men, to be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, 
to become a sin offering, to become an accursed thing on a cross, to die like a malefactor, to save men, if it's possible for man to save himself by keeping the golden rule. Somebody says, well, I try to keep the law of Moses. I try to keep the Ten Commandments, but do you keep them? Well, I do the best I can. My friend, that will not save you. Again, I say, if God is going to have a way of saving men and women from sin, he's got the right to say how that way is. This is not a man-made redemption. Men wouldn't think of such a thing. See, men wouldn't even think of such a thing. That through the death of a man on a cross, to be despised, to be rejected of men, to be a man of sorrows, to be a sacrifice for sin. That's far beyond all the reasoning and philosophies of men. Oh, God stepped on the scene and said, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of the thing preached to save them that believe. I want you to think about that. What an amazing thing that God should do a thing like that. I repeat it. If God is going to save men from sin, death, and hell, he's got a right to say how he's going to do it. You can reason all you want to, argue all you want to. You're not dealing with man, you're dealing with God. And he's a holy God, he's a righteous God. He's a sovereign God. And he's on the throne. This one who framed the ages by the word of his mouth has made himself known to men. This is my son, Jesus Christ. This is how my righteous character can be vindicated. I can't manifest mercy to men in sin, in rebellion, in anarchy, in corruption. I can't save them at the expense of my righteousness. So what did he do? He sent his son. His son bore your sin and my sin. He bore our unrighteousness. He not only died for my sin, but he died for me. Not only for your sin, but for you. He took your place and my place. We were the ones who should have died. For the wages of sin is death. Don't you forget that. Sin pays wages. And God executes the penalty. And we are remind you, you can't go on strike. And you can't quit the job. The wages must be paid. Either you pay them or somebody else pays them. God sent his son. And he bore your sin and received your wages, which was death, in order that you and I might be freed and emancipated from sin and all its corruption, all its power, and all its wages. How glad I am, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if I were following that through, I'd point out in John 1, 4, in him and only in him is life. And in John chapter 5, as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. What do you mean by that? He's the source of life, eternal life, satisfying life, resurrection life. Oh, friend, I wish you knew him.
I really do. I wish you knew him, my Savior, the one who came in infinite love. And the tragedy is the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but thank God unto us who are saved at the power of God. And I don't want to see people perish. I don't want to see people perish. Our Lord is the friend, publicans and sinners. He died to redeem men and women from sin. And the trouble is people don't believe that they're sinners. Oh, you say all of us are sinners, but you don't believe you're a lost sinner. You belong to those who perish, and yet the door is still open. As Paul could say, now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. And those of us who are Christians, God grant we may revel in the one who took our place when we had nothing to offer, no good works to offer, just dead works, just bad works. He took us and he redeemed us. All he wants is for you to put your trust in him and pass from death to life. Read First Corinthians chapter 1, will you? Do that. We'll speak of that in our next lesson. And may the Lord wonderfully bless you today for his wonderful name's sake. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at hell.